Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 4th of September 2017. I'm Joe and with me are Jesse. Hi, good evening. And Ike. Morning. And so we're back after a month, essentially, because the last episode wasn't really a proper episode, was it? It was just us messing around with uh, some other podcast people. It feels like a very long time, and uh, we obviously have to note that Phelan is unable to make it this this uh, fortnight. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about him. He's basically dead <laughs> to us at this point. It's going to be like six uh, six weeks between episodes for him. But yeah, he's like on holiday or something, so fuck him. Um, so we should talk about Camp briefly. Um, I always think that event coverage is a bit boring if you weren't there but we probably should talk a bit about it. That's why we didn't have a proper episode last time. We had just the one recorded live at OddCamp. So, Jesse, tell me a little bit about your experiences of OddCamp. Uh, I mean, there was a bunch of fairly average kind of presentations and things, and then one on the Sunday afternoon by me that was absolutely brilliant. Um, it was brilliant, yes. It was. <laughs> it felt like you'd actually prepared it really well, but then you hadn't at all, had you? No, so it was a bit of a, a late night, uh, well, a late night um presentation it's a bit of a different podcast uh in the hotel room everyone i made the the mistake last time of staying out to the wee hours and always feeling terrible the next day so this time i made sure that when the pub closed and we moved on i moved back to the hotel room and got some shut eye and was therefore fresh the next day but on the uh, saturday i'd been badgered by enough people to do a, a presentation and, and i'd wanted to do it but i'd wanted to prepare in a sort of very lengthy way that i normally do but actually it pushing it into a small uh, 2 a.m. kind of presentation preparing slot was was much better. And and thank you very much, went well. Um, but on, a, on a, a serious note, I think there were some some great presentations and the venue was really, really good. Uh, I know that the Ubuntu podcast that we shared the stage with has, has sort of rattled through a bunch of them with John that they had on. So if you want to hear a bit from the organizer of the event, do listen to that. Um, I know you didn't make it for the whole of the Sunday, Joe. <laughs> well, no, I didn't make it for like the afternoon. Well, I'm not getting up early on a Sunday. It's bad enough I had to get up early on a Saturday. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I stayed well, out way too late, got way too drunk, and yes, turned up about lunchtime. But that was basically my plan anyway. No one turns up for the morning of uh, the Sunday unless you're a loser like you. I enjoyed it. I got to I got to see some of the. Uh, they did repeat some of the presentations of the first day um, because the problem is there there are three tracks, and so the main track in the auditorium they had maybe seventy percent pre filled with guest speakers uh, such as Richard Brown. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and they had a guy from uh, Matrix. They had uh, someone who was doing a presentation about translating PS2 games from Japanese into English. Um, there was what's the other one I saw in there? Anyway, they, they and then they had the other two tracks. It's so obviously the problem is with three tracks is you can't always see the things you want to see. So it was actually quite nice that some people repeated themselves and allowed you to see it again, or you know, if you missed it on the Sunday, uh, and then watched uh, the Admin Admin podcast uh, a recording of their show. Um, yeah, which I did for them, and they like gave me one little mention in the notes. And uh, yeah, thanks guys. You know, even on the next episode, they didn't thank me for it. So fuck you. <laughs> Uh, I've, I'm joking, of course. I like doing that sort of thing for them. But yeah, I produced it for them. That's why they had good audio quality for once. Ooh, Ooh that's right. Get get your little burn in early. And luckily, you're gracious about it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's the main thing. So, Ike, you did not go because nope. you couldn't afford it. Uh, you Have you got any questions for us about it? Um, geez, what was the weather like? <laughs> it was pleasant and slightly raining at times. 
Was there a good turnout? It was all right. It was better than I had feared, but not as good as I may have hoped. It was lower than in previous years. I don't know why that was. It may be because Canterbury is a little bit harder to get to than some of the other cities that it's been in before, uh, or maybe it was the timing of it. Maybe it wasn't promoted heavily enough. I don't know. And I think that the fact that there wasn't one last year and it's kind of lost a bit of momentum didn't help. But I went to look at a venue in London, but the bottom line is that's only available on uh, August bank holiday in 2018 if we want the two days. So um, that might not happen. I don't know. The most important question I think I have, and you know, I think listeners would have as well, was there any shenanigans? There was quite a heated debate between, well, Wimpress and Richard Brown, and I was uh, egging it on. That was on the Saturday night in the Student Union bar there. Let me guess, it involved snaps and flatbacks. Yes, and who is (laughs) responsible for it and whether or not Canonical should be responsible for the snaps that they're effectively publishing. And and whether or not relying on confinement is enough, but we'll get back to that probably in a bit. But yeah, it was good all in all. Um, it was good venue and everything, and the the two parties were pretty good. And the third pub on the Sunday was good. But uh, one thing I noticed about Canterbury, there's an awful lot of like homeless people and reprobates and stuff around. Yeah, it just wasn't really like it's a weird juxtaposition of this like beautiful historic city or town or whatever it is yeah it's got a cathedral it must be a city but then just like a lot of shady people hanging around but um well that part of kent has a long-standing um a denial of the problem really so they actually get sent from rochester um sorry from canterbury up towards rochester or down towards Folkestone, which is basically going about 20 miles in either direction out of the town so you will start to see as you go um, up towards the cathedral, you because I've seen it there myself a few years back. You'd have tents and everything, so it's a real long-standing problem there. And like you say, you know, you've got the the beautiful architecture, and then you know, the depravity of civilization because the local authorities don't want to admit the problem. Mm. Well, before we get too political, so I say I had a good time. I would go back there happily because the venue was so great, um, and fun was had by all. I did miss a lot of faces who weren't there for various reasons and that was a shame but hopefully they'll come to the next one anyway um right any closing thoughts on that jesse or should we move on uh annoyingly something came to me while you were talking about it and it has gone out my head so i I don't i don't be repeating what you already said fair enough all right well let's do a little bit of news um the first one i'm not sure who put this in but sailfish for the xperia x and this is a ROM that Yola are trying to sell for 50 euros for uh, the Xperia X, which uh, is a Sony phone that I believe is quite nice, but you have to first buy the phone and then pay them $50 for the ROM. Mm, yeah, good luck with that is all I can say. I mean, Sailfish is the one that I think we would, or certainly I would hold up as the the best possible contender to Android and iOS, I guess. I mean, it doesn't help that the other major contenders have fallen by the wayside, but even when they had Firefox and uh, the Ubuntu phone, I felt that this was kind of the one that was most usable because we reviewed it a few years ago, a couple of years ago. At OGCamp, two years ago. Absolutely, yes. And it seemed the the most 
uh, sleek and elegant, and the fact that it integrated Android apps really had a huge selling point because then you didn't have that whole problem with building your own app store and what have you. But I do agree that having a, you know, buying it in quotes, but all you get is a ROM, and, and it does say that they don't have a very slick installation process. You're going to have to use the command line and things, and the phone is currently £300. It's not expensive, but it doesn't, it isn't a, a brand new flagship phone, which I think probably works more in its favor. Sony make very good phones, and the fact they've got a uh, a version that's that's not stupidly expensive means it's a bit more approachable. But annoyingly, some of the key things for me, Bluetooth and fingerprint reader, those functionalities don't work. The step counter doesn't work, and uh, an FM radio that that is yet to to work. So there are some things in there that for fifty quid or in a total three hundred and fifty quid, you'd kind of hope would be uh, be working. What do you think about this IKEA then? Would you pay 50 quid for a development ROM? Well, I mean, if it was an older phone, like I kind of probably would. So, like, my phone is abandoned. It's a good phone. I paid a lot of money for my phone, um, like 400 plus uh, euros for it. it might even because you wouldn't more. take our advice and buy a proper OnePlus. Because I wouldn't take your advice about getting the OnePlus. Um, so, yeah, I can kind of see the appeal. It would, it's, it's that whole thing, you know, you know, like giving a breath of fresh life into a phone and it's supposed to be great user experience with their OS so I'd be kind of tempted maybe if it was like 30 or something a little bit cheaper because 50 is a bit much I mean let's be honest yeah if there was if there was a range of phones like it would it would work on all Sony phones or you know there's hmm. there's these three Samsungs these three Sonys these HTCs you know whatever it might be it, you'd, you'd have a better a better chance but on that point about longevity it's only supported for a year and then they're talking about having um, continuation to follow after that. And it, it does smack a little bit of, we'll charge you another $20 when a year's passed for you to get your update. Or maybe not, but, you know, there's there's that sort of, they've left the door open for that. Hang on. Can we just get real for a second? Hmm. Clearly, what this is about is they need money to pay back the tablet buyers, backers, and they don't have enough money to pay them back. And they were saying that any revenue they make, any profit they make, will go into paying those people back. Well, this is just a cash grab as far as I can see. When I talked about this on uh, LAN with Chris, he was saying that it makes sense that they need money for ongoing development. But color me cynical, I can't help but feel that what's going to happen here is they've got this sort of half-baked, almost working ROM, which they're going to chuck out, charge a load of people 50 euros for, and then use that money to keep the whole company afloat and pay off these tablet um, buyers and all that. And it just, uh, I'm very cynical about the whole thing. And I, I don't want to be because as you said, Jesse, the situation with Sailfish is, it is basically the only reasonable competitor to Android ties and aside, which <laughs> is, is kind of, that's more for other embedded devices by the looks of things They don't really want to push that too much on the phones, but we'll see. But yeah, anyway, I want Selfish to do well, but it just seems that Yola don't have a clue what they're doing when it comes to business. But at least you can say you bought something that you had to install from a Linux PC. That is quite funny that you need Linux to do this. Mm. I don't know if, if it's anything beyond ADB and stuff, but um, yeah, I haven't looked into it enough because I haven't got the phone in question. But it is funny that you do need Linux for it. But um, let's uh, move on and talk about another Linux phone. I was about to say, given that we said there's no other option... Suddenly, Librem have stepped into the breach uh, with the Librem 5. They're, um, I want to get this right, free phone, free operating system phone. Yeah, which is GNU plus Linux. 
Can you watch YouTube on it? I've got to ask, can I do anything on it? Well, you probably with HTML5 in the browser. Look, I really, really want this to happen, but I'm not paying 600 quid for a phone that has no firmed up specs yet and has a delivery date of January 2019. No thanks. But Phelim is really excited about this, and it's a shame he's not with us because he is the one who's like, properly into wanting a free phone and he's looked into um replicant and all that kind of thing but it does this have any chance we've seen what happened with ubuntu it's quite difficult and that's an understatement to put a mobile os together based on linux and make it good um and to to make a consumer product here they're not selling this as a development thing I don't know. I've been very cynical about them in the past, and they have delivered to some extent with the core boot stuff with the laptops that I thought they would never be able to do. And so I really want them to surprise me on this. Yeah, but I mean, have you seen their competitive chart? I mean, yes, there is the whole philosophy aspect of this, and that's great, but it's still a product, right? And yeah. the, the comparison chart, like between uh, Pure OS. <laughs> iOS and Google Android is like, um, does it run GNU plus Linux? No. Red, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Yeah, and like every single one is yes, 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 yes. So user controls device, trackers disabled by default. It's, it's a fucking joke, that chart. Like, obviously, it matters on the philosophy front, but it, it's just something that's layered security protection. No. It's like, all right, how about we actually compare features that matter? like show the hardware yeah i mean it's like uh does it support png backgrounds from user share backgrounds ah uh, no it's yeah i mean it's kind of blowing smoke up its own arse in that aspect but obviously as usual it's open you know it, it's free properly free so it would be nice if it succeeds but let's look at the real world applications of a consumer phone it's not going to be able to do anything because on my phone, I can watch, you said about HTML5 video, but yeah, you still need DRM for that stuff to even work. What's it going to use for a web browser? Mm, good point. But let's look at some positive aspects of this, right? Okay. Uh, let's ignore the tiny five-inch screen, which no one wants these days, apart from Stuart. Um, CPU separate from baseband. Now, if that is true, that means that you can use it as a tablet with completely free software, potentially, because the baseband is the thing that is going to need blobs regardless, because like the law says that you need to have blobs for it. You can't open source them. Hmm. And uh, it's, they're partnering up with Matrix as well, which means that in theory, if you are a, the kind of person who goes from place to place that always has Wi-Fi, which is most people these days, then you don't really need it to be a phone phone. And if you can use Matrix to speak to your contacts, then that's probably going to be good enough. And if you are into freedom enough, there's a word that I don't want to use. Um, <laughs> and it ends in A-R-D. That one you always call Phelan. Yes, the one I call him off-air. Um, anyway, those kind of people, uh, I think they're going to love this, man. If, if they can deliver this proper GNU Linux phone that doesn't have any Android bullshit in it, and it's totally open source or totally free software, whatever, and doesn't need proprietary software to run most of the things apart from the wireless radio, then people are going to love this. And we haven't mentioned the fact that it's they're planning for it to be a convergence device as well, because it's basically just running GNOME at the end of the day. And so you plug it in, and then it should work 
with a screen. Well, that's running GNOME Shell. Like, I'm looking at that screenshot and I've, I've had to, well, mock up, really. I've had to really look in. That's genuinely GNOME Shell running on a phone. Yeah, which some people would absolutely love. I wouldn't, and I'd look to install XFCE, which... <laughs> just for <laughs> just the for menu on a five-inch screen. Yeah. And, like, I don't know, some sort of full-screen launcher as well, maybe. I don't know. But... I do just do it for the laws, but they're claiming that you can install all sorts of different Linux on it, but that means that each distro has to target that specific phone. But if it does well, then other distros will target it. So hang on a minute, right? My my sort of uh, reason that you would get this or buy this is that if you look, if you watch their little video and like 39, 40 seconds in, they have it on the slide with a little cable going to a monitor and a, and a keyboard and what have you. So it clearly... Obviously, if it's running GNU Linux, you could have it in the same way um, as your favorite dream phone distro does that switching from Android to uh, to Linux. Maru OS. Maru. And so I was going to get you on that, but you seem to have started off with this saying, this is terrible, this is a stupid idea, it would never work. But all the way through, you agree with what they're doing, you want it to succeed, you see the plan, and it is a good alternative if it you know if all these things come together it sounds like actually you know if if you're a bit more flush with cash you just drop it on it and and hope it worked Uh, i think that that is true if i was some sort of billionaire who didn't have to worry about money at all then i'd definitely back it but a socialist utopia star trek style where we have free energy and replicators to make all the stuff that we need including food where no one has to work that sounds like a pretty good idea, and I'm very much in favor of that. But is that going to happen? Not a fucking chance. And this phone sounds like a brilliant idea in theory, but is it going to happen? Apart from the fact that they need $1.5 million and they've only raised not even 200000 let's put that aside. Let's assume they do get the money. Are they going to be able to do it with a million and a half? It seems very unlikely to me that it's going to be anything but shit. Well, they've delivered hardware already, haven't they? Exactly. And I mean, they've, they've spent the last, what was it, three years trying to work out how you get a laptop delivered. So at least they've got some idea. They've got Just some experience. Yeah, they've got experience, got skin in the game. They, they, they're, they're a better bet than some of these crazy people who start up on, on Kickstarter. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I'll give them that. It is a better bet than most, but I just, it seems like it's impossible. But I, that doesn't mean I don't want it to happen. I really do. But I just have to be realistic here and I just can't see it happening. I can't see it as a consumer device, really, not like a mainstream consumer device. But if, you know, they're not really going for mainstream. And I think they know that as well. They even call it, you know, security and privacy focused. Jokes aside about like what it wouldn't technically be able to do because, you know, like some of the stuff that we have to have the non free stuff, it's still based on Debian. So someone could quite easily create a they could even create effectively GNOME shell extensions for this if you think about it. That would allow it to install the bits to make it better, right? As, you know, like the, the non-free bits or Debian's non-free. You'd be able to install them on that. Well, you'd be able to add repos to it. There's no reason yeah, why not. and it's still free hardware. So if somebody wanted to make a different or a derived operating system for it that added all the shebang on there, you know, you've got the hardware and then you just download the OS for free and put it on there. Yeah, or perhaps even port your OS to it, eh? No, 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 no. I see what you're doing there. No, <laughs> not happening. But yeah, I mean, failing that, you know, 50 quid for selfish. <laughs> so. Now, I I am just going to sort of uh, 
blow the trumpet for Ogcamp. And as I said, we had the presentation on Matrix from one of the guys from the board. I, I can't remember if it was the CEO or quite, but it was, it was one of the main sort of uh, developers there. And he announced that Matrix had been approached by Purism to do this. And that was actually uh, a, a world first announcement. So I felt very fl- uh, flattered to be in the audience at this, at this great announcement. However, to pour a little bit of cold water on um, Matrix and and every and them being used on the phone, uh, the the end part of his presentation was our main funder has withdrawn for reasons that Matrix is too good. It was a bizarre situation, uh, and they are desperately looking for backers and um, you know people with funds to pump into Matrix to keep it going, and they're trying to go to other technology. Um, uh, technology companies, whatever you try and pump some money in. So it's not a great position for Matrix. I mean, he did a fantastic uh, presentation and, and I learned a lot. And you've been talking about it, Ike, uh, how, how Matrix is a uh, interesting sort of idea and how it melds all these different communication devices together in a sort of decentralized, clever, off-world way. Um, and he explained it all very well. And it's really unfortunate that he ended on this sort of downside that actually they've got a real problem with funding. So that may well impact this this phone as well ah <laughs> well that sucks i didn't see that presentation i was watching something else so well, that's a bit of a shame i know recently i've been watching uh some of the known mailing lists actually and there was a conversation going on about i don't know if you guys are familiar uh, with telepathy some of the libraries that are used in back ends of like some of the gnome tech lines like empathy and stuff like that um it's getting a bit old and somebody's proposed to actually replace all that with matrix because telepathy has all these little plugins and it handles each different protocol, but it does it in a way that has a significantly reduced user experience. So IRC just doesn't really feel like IRC. And you get that across all of the protocols. It's like a lowest common denominator thing going on with them all. Whereas what Matrix seems to be doing, and it's got a hell of a lot of popularity, like even in the IRC channels I'm in, you'll see hundreds, hundreds of people using Matrix. It offers them the native experience, but it handles all of the protocols for them, which, you know, nobody has to go writing all the libraries anymore because they already have the system in place that lets you have all the accounts connected. So that could also suck for GNOME as well because that conversation was started up and then to not have funding, that's, yeah. Hopefully this thing with Purism would actually sort them out. Who knows? Yeah. Or we can just all move to Discord. Or do we have to... (laughs) I have not put it that way. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, a eccentric billionaire buying you a plane ticket and uh, <laughs> a hotel room in New York. Then, Ike. I know. I, there was me really, really hoping that I was actually going to get the space ticket, but no, <laughs> a normal plane, <laughs> only an airplane, like only a plane. For God's sake. Um, so yeah, I've been invited to the Ubuntu Rally in New York City at the end of September, which I think is the 25th, yeah, 25th to 29th. And for for me, myself, the reason I've been invited is because of Solus and because of Snaps. I integrated them into the software center. But there's going to be loads and loads and loads and loads of people getting there. Canonic was basically putting everyone in the same rooms, in the same hotel, to hack together, work together, network together. And I think that's pretty cool. So hang on. One minute you put Snap support into Solos, and the next you're being whisked off to New York, all expenses paid. Sounds a bit dodgy. Well, to me. I mean, you know, you flash a bit of the leg. <laughs> I mean, um, they- no, other than there is, they're they're kind of helping us. They're helping themselves 
by helping us, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, they want it to be widespread and adopted by everyone, of course. Yeah, and from my perspective, I'll be getting to work with people who have actually worked directly on Snap and be able to see the likes of like uh, Martin Wimpress and Alan Paul, who have experience working with this stuff. So for me, I'll be nagging Wimpy all the time about how he's integrated like uh snap support into the software boutique so that i can nick that sort of stuff into the software center in solace so it's good as well as getting things actually done and working on that stuff and networking get to see people cool people do you know who else is going who isn't like canonical people um no that sounds like you do but you're not allowed to say (laughs) uh i you plead the fifth (laughs) all right all right, fair enough. It's in. It's sounds like the last one that they did in. Was it in London? I think it was about a year ago. Yeah, but I wouldn't go to London. Come on. I know you don't. You don't go to that UK. Nah. <laughs> but it sounds very similar to that snap sprint that they had. They they're very committed to this snap situation. But this is a bit more than that. They also want to concentrate on Gnome and the desktop and everything to kind of prove people wrong that they're not just dumping it. Yeah, it's getting basically everyone up and down the stack. Um, so it'd be people who are integrating into distributions, desktops, derivatives, and various use cases of Snap to get them all together talking and hacking on it. Um, just basically to get everything done, because it's not really that often you can get all developers really in the same room physically there to talk, because that's a whole lot more productive than having these disparate conversations across multiple forms of communication. Unless you're using Matrix, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris is going to drive across the country from Seattle, apparently, to go to this thing. Oh, no way. Absolutely. He said he's going to sleep in the car and stuff. That that man is insane. Oh, that's great, because then I can, like, throw stuff out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep it in the car. He's lovely over here, Chris. (laughs) So I I had a bit of a thought about uh, Snaps the other day, and I'll I'll take a very brief... um, interlude to explain how i came to this was that uh i did my presentation at OddCamp and i use a piece of software uh called sunweight and it times it tells you when your sun the sun will rise and fall and i thought i'd get that uh onto a rival podcast or from the uk as a command line appreciation and <laughs> I, I i sent it uh, on Twitter and like four minutes later, um, Poby got back and he said, right, I've made it into a snap, you know, haha, aren't we great? <laughs> there's a snap for that. Exactly. There's a snap for that. And I, because I, I, I wanted to try out the snap and I noted that he'd, he'd uh, titled it incorrectly in his, in his rush and haste to excitedly do it. He'd, he'd missed out the bit where you say what the snap does. So I thought I would go onto the website and, and get that, that wording that they've used just the first sentence so that it can be updated. And when I went onto the website, I noted that it hadn't been updated in two, maybe three years. Now, it's a really basic C program. All it does is know where you are, know, you know, the telemetry of some the sun and where the, where the earth is. And therefore, your sun and your rise and fall will be the same for millennia to come. So it's not like doing anything complicated. It just makes it in a nice, easy to use format. And it occurred to me, I was like, oh, if this was maybe a web browser that was two years old, I would be very suspicious and not use it. If it was, you know, some other bigger, more entrenched bit of software, I wouldn't use it. But because a snap's been made for it and that's isolated, it's less worrying. This is a small piece of software, so I'm not so worried anyway. It's hardly touching my machine. It's not exactly, you know, uh, common throughout the world as a target. But 
if it was a bigger bit of software that I really wanted, but it was two years old and a snap had been made for it, I would feel more comfortable installing it. And so actually, I think snaps can open up the door to older slash deprecated slash forgotten software because you won't open yourself to security vulnerabilities. There's another word for that kind of software. It's called feature complete. No, no. Um, stuff will always need maintenance. Uh, think of build failures. You know, if the tool chain has changed, uh, some of the headers have changed, something like that. Another library it depends on has changed. A bug has come about. A function operates differently. So this illusion that software is complete is shite. No, it can be feature complete, but it does need a small amount of maintenance. Right, but it needs a little bit of maintenance. But I mean... There are some stuff now that might not build anymore and isn't maintained anymore, but is highly desirable software. But like you said, with a snap, you can you can do things to make it build without having to modify the distribution itself. Or in the other direction, it might require really new stuff that the distributions won't have because everything's using a particular version, say, of GTK or Q, you know. So you can get away with more in snaps that don't affect the whole system. So I think they're kind of good for that. Or like you say, abandon where it's like, well, fuck it. It's only a snap. It's it's not going to touch me system. You two have properly drunk the fucking Kool-Aid on snaps, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that a sensible use of snaps? I mean, is, is it a beneficial sort of uh, uh, sideline or is it actually a, a genuinely useful core function? Well, I, I'd say so. Um, just, I mean, consider rolling release distributions. They're moving further away from that baseline when that software was written. And like you say, it could even be something like a Python script. You know, it's just using an older version of Python. Doesn't work with the distribution anymore because it requires the older versions of the libraries. It's not going to do anything bad. You know, it might not even be something that you're worried about security. It might just not work with a more updated distribution anymore. But if you've got it in the snap, problem solved. Well, I remember in the live show, Jesse, you basically just said, yeah, I, I really think all IoT devices should use snaps and Ubuntu Core and everything. Yeah, I do. I don't see, I don't, I think the fact that you can push out uh, updates, even to the kernel and things like this, and if it fails, it rolls back, but that you don't have to have like, and you can have not just the kernel, but each small bit of software, the stack all builds up in snaps and you can just push them out to like all these devices all at once. It just makes so much sense. I think the most important aspect though of snaps, while it does allow this side stuff, which obviously is real handy for the whole, you know, normal Linux distribution side of things. I still think one of the main things is we can finally make package managers a, an implementation detail of distributions. So that if a vendor is targeting Linux, you know, they, they can worry less because it's not like, well, I need a package for that. And then people themselves worry about distribution. So like, for something like Solus, like you've got some moody shit called EOPKG. The fuck is that? Where am I getting a package for that? It's now getting to the point where people won't have to care what package manager the distribution is using. Like that won't matter anymore because if the vendor wants to put out an application, because if, if it's if it's something that Linux you would normally package anyway from source code, the vendor doesn't need to be putting out packages of it. That's something a distribution typically does. But if it's something that's you know, something that's very, very complex or server orientated or has stack complications or isn't fully free or open source, then they can put it out themselves with the snaps. And I think that's the main appeal. 
for that vendor provided software when there are distribution issues. But you see, that is where I think you differ from Canonical. You see Snaps and to some extent Flatpaks as a nice solution to third party distribution. That's my value view. Yeah. Yeah. But they see it as a solution to all software distribution. Um, I'm not entirely sure they do. Um, because if you look like at Ubuntu itself, like the normal Ubuntu, it's still very much dev packaging. You know, that's required. But isn't that just for now? And that ultimately, once snaps get to a point where they can be used for everything, they will be used for everything. Um, I mean, it kind of already is like with the, the Ubuntu core stuff. But that's, yeah, exactly. But that's a derived product, isn't it? That's still derived from the, the real distribution. Well, to me, it's just a, a separate distribution, really. No, it, it's still taking the stuff that's in the, the quote, real Ubuntu distribution, you know, the stuff that is nuts and bolts and actual dot .debs. So that's like the real distribution and the snaps are produced using that stuff. Obviously, they can have their own stuff and they can replace stuff, but that's where the base of it's all coming from, the the real Ubuntu. So something like, um, I mean, you know, the, the Ubuntu guys can correct me if I'm wrong, like in the comment section, <laughs> But it, it's, it's a derived product, you know, which is a repackaging, chiefly a repackaging of the real distribution. So something like using Snaps for it would allow you to productize the, the Linux distribution into something that's containerized, is my view of it. You'd still need, like, the, the real distribution behind the scenes, like as the raw feed. So you don't think that we're going to see, for example, in 10 years from now, uh, a situation where you've got a deb-free Ubuntu. I don't think it really matters, I, and I think that's the the most important thing. You know the the way that the way that we're starting to get the world to see now because LSB, you know, basically failed Linux standards based. You must have RPM. You must have Q. You know th- those kind of things failed. But I think what we're starting to see now is people concerned with targeting specific uses and runtimes effectively but if you can mitigate the need for runtimes i think i think packaging just doesn't really matter anymore and i don't think anyone should care whether it's snap or deb like same for any distribution because what is a package it's a fancy terrible effectively you know whatever way you do it whether it's a a squashed file system you're just gift wrapping a file system in some format or another i don't think anyone should truly care about the package format it should be more about the availability and distribution and making sure that that thing still runs the same way for everyone concerned. Well, there's a bit of a difference, though. But a traditional package doesn't show up as a fucking block device in LSBLK, does it? Whereas every snap has to be mounted as its own file system. So it is, you know, by nature of how they do the confinement and everything, that's how you have to do it. But it is, it is a very different approach. Yeah, but I mean, you could have a snapped OS root if you think about it, which would be like your very, very core basic stuff. And then you could have another one on top of that, which provided another set of services. You wouldn't do, you wouldn't do it at the granularity that you have of a package, a traditionally packaged operating system. I just don't think you'd do that because you'd want to get away from having thousands of individual packages and the dependencies between them and making them all fit. Instead, you kind of want to, you want to look at it from a big picture perspective, don't you? You know, instead of having all the th- bits fit together, having that one thing that's cohesive. I mean, I've I've just uh, installed Solus on my laptop, and let's say that was four snaps for for whatever reason. You need a network one and a graphics one. Yeah. You know, let's say it's four. I've now installed 
another 15 bits of software on top. So I'm not saying that, you know, I agree that maybe even if the core OS is a cleverly packaged set of snaps, you're still going to have all of the bits of software that people install on top. And if, you, if you're in a snap ecosystem, there will be that many individual file systems. However, I, I, I'm not asking you to, to argue that or not, but I, I would say that's not a problem. People will get used to the fact that, oh, look, I've got 25 file systems. And that's the way people would look yeah, at their it's computer. Just another package. In yeah. fact, you could almost you could almost witness, you know, use that as a way of seeing what's installed. I, I just wanted to ask, could we have had the whole conversation for the last five seven minutes we've had, and replaced the word snap with flat pack and had the same conversation? No. And why is that? Okay, so one of the the problems with flat pack is scope limitation. Flatpak requires a very specific environment to actually work. And that environment is a desktop. It's very, very specifically a desktop. And that means it has to be running within a desktop session. That, you know, like you've got your D-Bus and you've got your Pulse Audio or Wayland or X11. You know, all that stuff has to exist there. And the idea is it passes and controls that environment in a way that's safe for the external processes for what's internal to it. But because they're desktop only, you couldn't have like the whole system be that. And I'm not saying that you should one way or the other have a whole system that snapped or flat packed, but flat pack is desktop only. And if you look at snaps, it's, they can be anything. You know, they don't have any requirements on what they should be. And so ignoring the point about uh, whether your desktop is a snap or not, but the previous part about, uh, distribution agnostic and delivering software and things there's there's no major difference if you were to have if vendors were to target flat packs in five years as the as the key single um containerized packaging method versus snaps yeah it's just a form of distribution with the the end goals are still the same you know having a consistent end user experience regardless of the host environment okay right that's enough of this uh, future talk that that is enough now Joe is going to move on to talk about a thing, but I've just remembered the point I was going to make at Old Camp, which I forgot way back in the intro. It's, it's <laughs> come back to me as a flash. So very quickly, everyone I met who listens to this podcast mentioned DD, the bunch of bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention it with all those um, SquashFS uh, mounts. It makes LSBLK a lot more cluttered, and therefore you're more likely to <laughs> yes, DD the ISO yes. over STA. I, I, I thank you for your um, pardon on my behalf when in my absence uh, on the two shows ago. Uh, I'm sorry to PopOS. I made a massive error, and it was my fault. And everyone I've met was like, oh, as soon as I heard, I knew what you'd done. And to the point where um, the lovely Martin Wimpress did a lightning talk titled how not to be a Jesse. <laughs> yeah, by using some GUI tool instead of DD. But, yeah. I was going to prepare a patch for DD itself, but I thought <laughs> I was going too far. Just to detect if it was That's right, hold, hold my hand. <laughs> there is a little trick you can use. If you, you if you look at dmessage in your terminal, just look at it first so you can sort of see what the output looks like. Then put your USB stick in. It'll then come up that a device has been added and it'll say something like SDB or something. So you'll actually know what the, the root device assignment is the second it's gone in. So you can see yourself as like, oh, there's a new line in D message from the last time I've run it. So you actually know where you stand. And I always use that and that helps, except for when I don't and then I lose my backups. 
Or you could always run G-parted and uh, <laughs> have a nice gooey tell you. Oh, that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I used to do before LSBLK, but then I started trusting that. Um, anyway, right. Uh, so I've decided, fuck Linux, I'm, uh, I'm moving to Mac. And so, uh, no, not really. But I have been playing with a Mac this week, an eMac. I came home the other day and my neighbor was about to go to the dump with various things, including an eMac. Now, for those unfamiliar, it looks somewhat like an iMac, but this was from around, I think, 2004, 2005-ish. It's a CRT. It is heavier than anything I've ever carried in my life, (laughs) basically. And it's got no fucking handle either. I think they were designed to, like, not get stolen from schools because the E stands for education. But anyway, it's a PowerPC G4, uh, I think, 1 gigahertz, with about 700 and something megabytes of RAM. And I have tried everything to get Linux running on it. Bear in mind that it was perfectly functional when I got it. It was running OS 10.5 or whatever, 10.4. And it was just working absolutely fine. And then every Linux distro that I've tried, and I've tried various versions of Ubuntu minimal and stuff. Bear in mind this only has a CD drive. So anything from DVD, it just forget about it. So it has to boot from a cd i think you might be able to possibly get it to boot from usb but even a modern mac i struggle to get to boot from usb so it's got to be from the optical drive so it's got to be cd so it's got to be under 700 megabytes for the iso and i've tried ubuntu minimal um 1604 1610 uh, 1404 the only thing that i've managed to get to boot on it and install properly is kubuntu 1204 and that worked absolutely fine and then I updated that to 1404 and it sort of worked, but it had really fucked up colors. And then I updated to 1604 and then it just broke. And I tried Debian and same situation, like even without a graphical environment, it just, it gets almost through booting and then it just goes to a black screen and just nothing's happening. So if anyone has got one of these things and any experience, please tell me what destroy to run on it because I've promised my wife that I will get rid of it. Oh yeah, that's another thing. If you're in London and you want it, then you can have it, basically. As when I'm finished playing with it in a week or two, you can have it because my wife is not going to let me keep it. Um, And I'm not going to let me keep it, to be quite honest. It's just cluttering up the place. So it's really annoying. I mean, the the bigger point is why would you want to use a PowerPC machine when everyone is dropping it? Even Debian, the, the latest version of Debian, doesn't support um powerpc 32 bit that this is so it's just totally obsolete at this point when i read this in the notes earlier on <laughs> I, I thought you meant like emacs <laughs> like, oh, right, yeah. removal cream. It's like no wonder you couldn't get linux running on it like, <laughs> that's emac <laughs> <laughs> now i know don't i it's like well why was he trying to put it on there then but at least you know now why it was going to the rubbish tin <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean it's just completely obsolete and um you turn it on and you get the bang of Apple. And then the the fan in this thing is like so loud. It sounds like your server when it's building, Ike. <laughs> um, and it must be using a hell of a lot of power as well. So I'm, I've probably burnt a lot of electricity. It is nice to retro though. Like, and it's, it's kind of like in a sense for tech people, I guess it's like the ultimate boys tie getting the the more retro you go the better it is like i've really got a hankering to get myself a commodore 64 again (laughs) just because 
Yeah, why not, man? I mean, I was thinking about getting a PSP, um, an old PSP, and putting some sort of custom firmware on it to play um, emulators, to play Sonic and stuff like that, um, Mega Drive games. But um, but yeah, anyway, I thought I'd just briefly mention this. So yeah, if you want it, it's pretty much yours. Um, if you're in London, you have to drive. There's no way you can get this on the train. <laughs> the tube train won't take um, it. <laughs> yeah, the, you'll break the tube. You'll break your suspension in your car carrying it. But luckily enough, you've got the fans on there. You will cool everyone down on the tube. So you'll be the most popular person there. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I need a destroyer to run on it in the meantime. Some Something that will work on a G4. And don't say Ubuntu or Debian. I've tried them. They're not having it. But if there's any other disk drives that I have not found yet, then please let me know. And I pray it's Gentoo. Gentoo. That's what I said. And I was thinking, <laughs> I, like, Gentoo on a fucking i5, how long does that take to compile? It would take, like, the, the, the heat death of the universe <laughs> would happen before Gentoo would finish compiling on this fucker. I'd have to cross-compile it. I've noticed there's a bit of a pattern emerging. I can't do G's and J's. Yes. Well, I'm sure there's a GIF for that. Or is it a GIF? We just don't know. Or is it a SIF? <laughs> no, use that to clean your toilet. <laughs> uh, anyway, right. Uh, this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware, who also sponsored OddCamp. So thanks for that as well. They are a dedicated Linux computer seller in the UK. And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 16.04 and 17.04. And they've got a huge range of laptops, including a new one called Zeus, which is pretty beefy. It's quite expensive, but you get the specs for that. Um, i7 processor and um, at least 8 gigs of RAM, that sort of thing. Uh, And a GTX 1070 as well, which is just way more powerful than I would ever need, but I'm sure some people would want it. But they've got real powerhouses like that all the way down to much less expensive machines that are good for email and light web browsing, that kind of thing. So you're bound to find something that you want. And this is a company who cares about Linux, more importantly. They'll make sure that the firmware and everything's working properly before they ship their machines. And they're basically ideal for anyone who wants to run Linux and wants a hassle-free experience. They come with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate, but the one I've got, I've thrown all sorts of distros at and they work perfectly. You're not going to get support from them for other distros, but I don't think you're going to need it, quite frankly. Uh, So they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, do mention us at checkout. There's a little box you can fill in late night Linux, and then they'll know we sent you. So check out entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So uh, on to a bit of admin then. So thank you to everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It is very much appreciated. And if you want to join them, uh, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. Uh, and if you want to get in contact with us, there's email and Telegram group and all that kind of stuff on latenightlinux.com slash contact. Uh, so Ike, you have been whoring around again. Uh, and you've been on Destination Linux for the 110 millionth time. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about Solus 3. Yeah, I, I kind of do that. I, I, I get around. I get around. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, I've got that in my head as well now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind enough to have me on. And, you know, far be it for me uh, to turn people down to, you know, I get to talk. Fucking <laughs> hell. Okay, no. Yeah, for I, 90 minutes. I had to listen to that, that today that while I was clearing my desk out. Yes. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but at least you had desk clearing music. There, not many people can say they have that. They yeah, got to talk about Souls, got to see Rock on Ryan, and basically just keep talking and talking and talking. Kind of like I'm doing now. Yeah. Basically that for 90 minutes. No, it was yeah. enjoyable, and it's up on YouTube, and they share it other places, right? Yeah, well, they've got a proper website. <clears throat> thanks to someone uh that has got a proper rss feed uh, they only have an mp3 because hey that's free enough these days but yeah either youtube or um, mp3 so check them out destinationlinux.org and you can uh, hear more from ikey if you're really you know that sad and depressed that you feel you need to <laughs> yeah um all right so i want to talk about funding models and the, the new funding models they're not that new these days but what's prompted this was a new story a couple of weeks ago that Disney is pulling most of its stuff from Netflix to start its own streaming service. And it just got me thinking, like, people only have a certain amount of income to spend on this kind of thing. And if it was all centralized in one place, people might be able to spend 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, whatever quid per month. But if you've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, Hulu Plus in America or whatever, HBO Go, um, Disney, Sky, Virgin, Sky Go, Virgin, this, that, and the other. Um, that and that's the kind of mainstream stuff. But then you've got all these other creators and Linux distros and FOSS projects that all have a Patreon, and we have a Patreon. I've just plugged it not long ago. Now the question that I have is specifically for you, Ike, because you are someone who is basically living off Patreon now. Mm-hmm surely there comes a point where the market is totally saturated <laughs> and there just is not enough money to go around because if everyone's got their own patreon then who's going to pay for people yeah i mean it's going to get to the point where we're actually going to have to go back have like real jobs which is a terrifying prospect or advertising but that's the, the point is that people are trying to get away from advertising and go to this um yeah it is getting saturated um i don't really think it's sustainable and I mean, it's basically what you say. It is saturated. Everyone on their dog now has it. Patreon has become GeoCities. <laughs> yeah. So, Jesse, how many people do you support, not necessarily on Patreon, but, um, you know, including big companies and small independent broadcasters of any or creators? How many people are you supporting at the moment? Uh, if we're looking at what I would call sort of um, minor payments per month, you know, like not my TV license, but yeah, sort of five pounds, six pounds. Uh, I think it's maybe four. So it's not like it's going to kill me to go to five or six. But if, for example, I had to pay like for each of the TV channels independently and, you know, well, my girlfriend pays for Netflix, that's a bonus. But um, there was, there was, more things became rather like under one umbrella they became more granular you'd have to then yeah like say find more and more money to pay for all these things but if you look at it from the other way around when things become more granular you can be more specific as to what you want Uh, so take i know it's not exactly what you're talking about but um virgin media my parents had that and when you wanted to watch, well, you know, like I just wanted the Discovery Channels, for example, all the all the info and and uh, nature documentaries and things, but you couldn't get like a Discovery pack- package. It was just level one, 
There's some sport, some cinema, some sewing, and some discovery. Level two, there's more of each of those. And to get all the ones that you wanted, you had to get all the way up, but you end up with all this crap you didn't want. Whereas now I know uh, Sky, for example, are doing it so you can get just the football ones and just the golf ones and just the so-and-so. You know, you can be more specific and more targeted. And actually, if you look at it from that point of view... It means that you can put your money where you want it to go more easily. So five years ago, pre-Patreon, as far as I'm concerned, whether or not that's true, um, if I wanted to give money to a Linux distribution, I could easily give it to Ubuntu because as soon as you download it, they ask for it. And, you know, hats off. I think it's a sensible way to do it. OddCamp was sponsored by the Linux community, uh, by the um, uh, Ubuntu community. So that's a, a great use of that money. I wanted to give it to Debian. I'm sure I could find a way. But if I wanted to give it to some of the more niche distros, I'd find it very difficult. Whereas now, I can. So isn't that a better thing? I, I can put my money you know, into the distribution that I'm using or into the free and open source project that I'm using. If every single uh, application vendor produced a Patreon page and I knew that was going to be there, I could just right. I really, really like this particular piece of software. I'm going to give him £5 a month for this year. And then in the new year, I will review my spending. You get that granularity. So I'm going to say it's quite a good thing. So you'd say like it's actually allowing you to really vote with your wallet now. Exactly. So I mean, you know, the Ubuntu sliders, if you've ever uh, used it when you download Ubuntu, uh, you can say, I want to put my money into... I think back in the day they had the phone. Um, you could put it into the desktop. You could put it into server. You could put it into community. You could, put, and there's there's maybe a dozen or so, and it meant that they could see. Okay, fair enough. It's a little bit different, but they could see where people were putting money and therefore what was popular from people downloading it. And if you expand that and ignore Ubuntu, you know, as as a as a point, you could say right, this particular distribution is getting a whole load of funding it must have something which is going for it. And, you know, maybe it should therefore get big backing from uh, a multimillionaire or something. But it at least gives you that granularity for people to A, vote with their wallet, and B, see trends as to what are successful. We always joke about the the multiple uh, video editors. If there was one video editor that got five times the patron funding as the other seven, wouldn't it make you think, well that's the one that's going to succeed. Because it's getting all the funding, it will make better decisions, not better decisions, but it will make it have more money going into its software development, which will make it better, which will make people pump money into it, which will make it better, and it will become the the de facto uh, video editor versus having seven other ones. I suppose so. And in a way, you've got this separation, haven't you, between the corporate distros and the independent ones. And I suppose if you use several different distros some people probably do i tend to stick to Ubuntu on everything because i'm boring but some people might have solus on the laptop and debian on the server or whatever i suppose if you're using a corporate distro like ubuntu or suza or red hat then you're not really of a mindset to donate to them but then if you're using solus or elementary or whatever you might donate to them on patreon so i suppose in a way money will find its way where it needs to go but i do worry about this this watering down of people's wallets and at some point something has to give you, you think that it's only a couple of quid a month 
here and there, but eventually you have to stop supporting the, some of the things that you're supporting. And how do you compete in that market? It, it makes it, at the moment, it's kind of, we're still in the early stages, I feel, of of crowd support um, or crowdfunding, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But once that gets totally saturated, you're going to have to dance like a monkey, basically, to get people to support you. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, because... It's going the way of true capitalism in a sense. This is all about consumer choice and it will get to the point where, you know, I've got all these channels, but I only want them ones. And Jesse, we're going to have to talk about this level one sewing channel later on. <laughs> so you can just fill me in the deets on that one. But, you know, it is going to be a case of, you know, dance monkey boy. That's going to be a thing where you're going to have to fight harder in the market. Well, there's a term for that. Dog eat dog. It's not really a bad thing because it's the whole survival of the fittest, isn't it? You know, if something is shite, then it's going to wean away and die. That's, I, I hate to be bad about it, but, you know, it could even happen to Solus someday. Someone says, well, you know, fuck this, not supporting this anymore. This one's doing a better job. Well, then I would have to fight harder to compete with them, wouldn't I? You know, so I think it can only lead to good developments. It's, it's going to force people to compete competition is good it's going to force people to improve stuff so i don't know i think it's good i mean i'm looking at a skewed perspective of software um it is obviously a bit different with other types of content but yeah i think in our part of the world you know like over free free and open source stuff i think it would be a good thing to have that competition well let me counter your argument with one word heartblade and the thing is this right that OpenSSL is a project that up to that point had got no love because it was just doing its own thing. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't shiny. It wasn't doing anything interesting. It wasn't dancing like a monkey. And so the, the problem is you get something flashy that's that's moving really fast, like KDE Neon or um, what you're doing with Solus. Sure, but they're umbrella projects. And the thing that's the thing, you can't just have like something that's very, very, very... Well, you can in certain things, you know, like you say, you'd have the, the sexy applications, right? People would support those, but I think largely the, the the likes of Patreon would be umbrella projects in terms of software. And let's not forget when Heartbleed did happen, you didn't really have what we have now with Patreon because some of the people are on there now. We're still finding our way around it and seeing what works best. But in response to that, the industry did actually stand up, and they did put coins in the coffer, and they did make sure that that sort of thing didn't happen again. And that's sort of when the open source development and money started to to go back towards each other. Now it's okay for people to be paid. Yeah, we end up with a core uh, infrastructure initiative. Yeah. It is an example, I feel, which is outside of this this discussion because Heartbleed should be an industry-funded project. There are other projects which are absolutely crucial to infrastructure which should be industry-funded. And should be under, like, a, an umbrella. Exactly. They, they should come under maybe the, the IPCC or whatever it is that gives out domain names or, you know, or some sort of conglomerate that, that needs them for the internet to function. So I, I would say that, okay, it was a fault. No one saw it coming and it happened. But I, I do think it's an outlier in this conversation. I do think the Independent Police Complaints Commission is very important to free software and, and, and domains as well. I can remember it as I can has cheeseburger. That's how I remember. Yeah. It. Okay. Let's ignore the police uh, in this discussion. But like the other view that I would have is is maybe 
uh, this goes against the whole point of having uh, Patreon. But if you look at what the um, Ubuntu Mate project is doing, they are fortunate in a position to have a very large number of backers who who wish to give them money and are generous enough that they don't. Uh, the Ubuntu Mate project doesn't need. I don't don't want to say they don't need all the money, but that they would like to reinvest that money uh, in a way that they see fit. And so if someone has, for example, updated the icon pack, they will give them some money. Or if they've uh, fixed a bug, they'll give them some money. Or if there's a piece of software that has been used critically throughout the production of that um, uh, distribution, they will fund that particular project. So while everyone is uh, only giving money to one Patreon, and that is the the uh, Ubuntu Mate project. Ubuntu Mate then doles it out amongst other people as a sort of as a, a conglomerate is the wrong word, but like as a sort of umbrella to to give it out to the the useful uh, individual projects that wouldn't have otherwise been funded by those people individually. I can confirm this because I've actually received money from this exact example for the brisk menu. And so so how did that work? Were you looking for money and asked him how you could get it? No, not at all. Um, it wasn't anything like that. So the, the brisk menu started a long time ago, and it was basically like, yeah, how hard can it be? <laughs> Stupid question to ask. I started it, and then Martin showed some interest in it for Ubuntu Mate. I was like, well, you know, if you do these things, basically it was like a bug bounty, right? So here's a feature thing, and... Uh, Ubuntu Mate was sponsoring the development of this feature because Ubuntu Mate uses it. So obviously, I, we get a few quid out of it in terms of Solus, and everyone benefits from that new feature being it because something like Brisk, while it's technically a Solus project, that that means nothing. You know, it's an agnostic piece of software for the Mate desktop, and we get a kickback and everyone gets the feature, and that works well. And it's not just me who's done it as well. Like Stefan has now done a few as well. So some of those, we like, I assign them on the track to another person, and and that's cool. So you're you're supporting Ubuntu Mate, but on the peripheral, you're also supporting other projects as well, and yeah, it, it all comes back to the whole umbrella thing. Well, it's the free software dream, isn't it? You're getting people to pay for the development of free software, which mm. then ultimately benefits everyone. Yeah, and you're hoping that the the um the person to which you're putting your money is a a responsible purse that can then dole it out where it sees fit. You know, I'm sure if uh, the Ubuntu Mate Patreons suddenly saw that Martin was flying about on a jet <laughs> at their expense, they'd be a little bit, you know, their nose would be put out of joint somewhat. But because he's very open about where it's being spent and why it's being spent on certain things, and they're all going to funding things which are supporting that particular project, uh, you know, it's all going in the right direction. Now, is it unfair on a particular piece of software that Martin or the the project hasn't chosen? You could maybe argue that uh, if there's, I don't know, two different Twitter clients and, and the Ubuntu Mate project has picked one and therefore one gets funding but a rival doesn't, is that unfair? Or is that just being that one Twitter client was better and therefore is getting funding? You know, there's there's always going to be some some nuance there. But I do think that, Overall, given the granularity of Patreon, given the fact that normal people can go on Patreon like we can and, and people can fund us to do this, uh, and given that it, with enough money coming into Patreon, those responsible with big pockets can then share it to the smaller um, 
contributors of open source, I think means that you can, uh, I think generally it's a good thing. It's funny that there's a lot of Americans who are like really into Patreon, but what they don't realize is that that model is essentially libertarian socialism. It is people having the choice to take part in what is effectively socialism. So like a small number of people will pay for everyone else to do it. So the like Solus, for example, you've got a small, a relatively small number of people contributing to the Patreon so that everyone can have it for free. And but that it's there's no obligation for them to do that. So it's totally uh, voluntary. So it's libertarian in that oh, sense. Oh yeah, definitely. But it is still socialism. And so there are some Americans who, uh, whose mind I've probably just blown with that. <laughs> but uh, on that bombshell then, I think we should wrap it up. We're well over an hour. So um, yes, we'll be back hopefully with Phelim in two weeks for a proper show. Um, in the meantime, I've been Joe. I've unmuted my mic and I've been Jesse. And I'm Siliki. <sighs> See you later. <laughs>